0: Welcome to the Learn Perform Mixtape. I'm your host for this podcast, Laura Pasquini. I created this podcast to prepare me and maybe you for the Certified Professional Learning and Performance Exam, the CPLP. These series of podcasts will be my open study notes. Welcome to the learning. In episode 2.2, Learning Theories, we're gonna answer the questions, How do adult learners actually learn? What are the best ways and what are the characteristics of learners and the appropriate selection of instructional methods that we need to create for effective targeted training solutions that meet the learner's needs and the business goals? For section 2.2, the learning objectives are these. We're going to look at the role of learning theories and how they play into the design of learning solutions. We're going to discuss two different theories around Maslow's hierarchy of needs and Malcolm Knowles' concept of andragogy and its importance to instructional design. We'll explain the differences between teaching and facilitating learning, and we'll want to describe the individual characteristics of learning, specifically the roles that motivation goals, experience, and culture, and how they play into how adults learn. We're going to dive into theories of learning and memory. That includes behaviorism, cognitivism, constructivism. You may know them. And we'll describe the concept of learning, the brain model, and how it relates to adult learning, and talk about the six external internal environmental and influences that factor adults' ability to learn. And we'll talk a little bit around Howard Gardner's concept of multiple intelligences. So needless to say, this episode is jam-packed of all learning theories. So let's talk about the adult learner and how theories and instructional design play into what we need to think about for training and learning solutions. Learning theories explain some reasons why training techniques may work better than others and help talent development professionals design effective learning solutions. So trainers can really improve performance by facilitating learning in a traditional or virtual classroom, one-on-one or on the job in an organization. And there's so many strategies to think about. So we need to think about the adult learner first to help identify how we can best train those employees. So let's talk about the learning strategies tactics, experiences, and learning environments that support the theories, relate to the design of materials, to the difference in way adults learn, explain why training is designed as it is, and assess designs to ensure that it meets the needs of learners and outline the fluent influences. So let's talk a little bit about the learner themselves, adults. You know, you know how they are. Um, adults are going to be different than training anyone in uh, K-12 education or even higher ed. That's not to say that our adults aren't in higher ed, but there are some concepts that are going to look different from a non-traditional learner. So lots of trainee design books go into it. And I'm going to look at first the ISD from the ground up. That's uh, Chuck Hodell's fourth edition. He talks a little bit around um, the science and practice of learning and how these adults that are learning and the versus the pre-adults are going to be different in how you treat what you're going to prepare as an instructional designer. So pedagogy is a term most often associated with learning in children, so those pre-adults. Andragogy is the term used for adult learners. So much of this distinction is made in some circles, other people don't, some people interplay the term all the time, and you see pedagogy around. Regardless, we're going to talk about the differences, specifically around um, just the two different populations. So let's look at a little bit around the learner characteristics. So Life experience is really useful in a course for designing for adults, and pre-adults or children may not have much experience to draw upon, so it's not as relevant to include in any sort of training development. The um, self-concept of the learner, pedagogy looks at the learner who is dependent on that teacher, that facilitator, that instructor. Andragogical um, learners are really self-directed and motivated to learn on their own. When we look at prior learning experiences, it's really important for andragogy that you use experience as a resource for self and others. Um, Readiness to learn is directly related to the age and the curriculum for that pedagogical, that pre-adult, but for andragogical, it's developed from life experience. So you really want to link to real life experiences with your adult learners versus that prescribed learning path that you might have in a pedagogical environment. The willingness to learn for adults, uh, they want to learn if deemed worthwhile to their lives. And pedagogy, we often tell our children, it's told that they need to learn this, right? Um, motivation is often more intrinsic in our adult learners and our pre-adults, maybe it's extrinsic, maybe it's intrinsic, but not, it's very much a mix of both. So adults learn best by the, these key elements for instructional design. And I like that Chuck sums it up. Don't waste time, design for immediate usefulness, build from previous life experience, make it welcoming and safe, and connect to work and life. I think that's sound advice that he provides in chapter 14 of his book. So looking at this and how we facilitate learning, individual learning will really um, be characterized by these key factors, motivation, goals, experience, and culture. So They want to know the what's it for them, and adults really want to know, is this leadership program going to give me a raise or promotion? Am I going to get to another role in the company or maybe move on somewhere else? So they really want to get a sense of learning for either um, accomplishment or goals or things they want to do in their career life. Goals comes in next, so they really want to achieve a particular goal or an interest that's satisfied through learning. So they want to apply it to real life and practical experiences they'll use on the job. Experience. Instructional designers can link information to a learner's existing knowledge, and that really creates a powerful learning experience and training opportunity where you can directly apply to the concepts they know on the job, and they're just building on that. Finally, culture. So we talked about this in talent management, seven point seven cultural awareness. But the values, rituals, and shared or different points of view must be reflected in the instructional design and account for that organizational culture. So. If safety or quality or ethics or innovation is a real key driving force in your organization, you want to build that in and think about um, how that is related to training. Um, Other places that might want to dive into customer service orientation or team-based or constructive development may want to incorporate that kind of learning. So there's different approaches to motivate learners and Oftentimes, these four foundational principles to motivate out learners are inclusion. So they're part of the environment, they feel respected and they are willing to participate and not be afraid of being humiliated or it's really thinking about the, creating those positive experiences to facilitate and make connections. The attitude, it's a combination of the emotions and de- resulting of a positive attitude towards the learning. So offering them choice, preferences and making it personally relevant will actually help that attitude. You wanna give it meaning, Uh, that's number three. That's sustained involvement in an engaging format. So it's a relevant topic, engaging format, connections to the purpose, and understand what is being learned for the work role and why. And then competence. It comes from applying and practicing learning to receive feedback on progress. So you really wanna offer incentive to learn and reward. So what they'll get out of um, having something complete within their career profile and portfolio. So culture can often influence this learning, and we know this through nonverbal messages that don't match, or maybe there's a reluctance to speak. In particular court cultures, it's not favorable to talk up when the instructor is teaching, maybe there's limited eye contact in some cultures or proximity or that distance. So we have some cultures that have power distances. Some are standing closer to one another and also power distance in their structures of their organizations. So questions to ask as a learning designer before developing any training are, what are the cultural norms or values that might exist in the organization? How do they differ among all learners? What implications do these norms or values have in designing the content? And adjustments, what needs to be made in terms of the design. So you could think about this in a few different ways. And I'm going to jump back and talk a little bit about um, beyond the idea of the adult learners, you know, the self-concept, their readiness, orientation, and motivation to learn. All those are there from Malcolm Knowles, Adult Learning, or Andragogy, And I put a link to an article that describes a bit more if you want to read on we can jump back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs and explain the foundations of motivation from the physiological to the psychological needs. So the basics of food, drink, sleep, shelter, to safety, needs of fear, of freedom, need to be safe. Third is belongingness, going up that triangle and stacking up. So needs for friends, family, connection. Uh, the fourth on the tier is esteem. So the need for self-esteem to be highly regarded by others and that self-actualization, the need to excel. So thinking about um, building on those, there are ways that learning theories can help memory. And this is how learners will internalize that information and all that knowledge and the skills you're trying to train about. So you wanna increase the success of transfer of learning for retention, and then they'll take it back to the job. So how we access, treat, and retrieve information with these three classic learning theories is critical. So we're gonna talk about um, behaviorism, cognitivism, and constructivism. So, we can look at, um, the cog- cognitivism focus is on a few things. It focuses on what has happened to the learning internally, and we are trying to understand understanding. So, how do we organize information might be Objectives, chunking them, the design, a well designed instructions in order. We want to have our learners assimilate new content into their existing knowledge. So start from the current, use examples, real life stories, things like that. And we want to strengthen the new knowledge into memory. So practice, feedback, maybe a summary, summarizing, reflection, test, or on the job application. And then focus on the attention of answering that question, though, what's in it for me, or movement and activities. Behaviorism is the opposite. It looks at the stimuli externally, so not internally, and it looks for stimuli and response, predict and control behavior. So this might be done through reinforcement or rewards. So external controls affect that internal processing of the information coming through in learning. So we're looking at observable behaviors and practical design concepts. So The objectives of the instruction are clear and criterion reference testing. We're testing prototypes, targeting specific things, and chunking content based on learning objects. So we're going to see this on the job. So behaviorism establishes clear, unmistakable kind of behavioral practice, not just theory. We're going to work to help learners acquire behavioral skills. It's highly specific and it's observable. So learners will know they have succeeded because they have demonstrated, shown, or explained that they know. Advantages of that are really strong because they can see those, I've accomplished a skill, like I can play these four chords on my ukulele. Versus Advantages of Cognitivism treats people as adults and focuses on those thinking skills. So we're looking at building foundational knowledge, concepts, information, rules, and it really is thinking about um, the basis for which action will be taking place. The third one, is constructivism. This focuses on how learners internalize what they learn. Uh, Piaget is very much known to take learners' knowledge constructs from assimilation to accommodation. So learning experiences are discovered and going through trial and error, maybe failing, reframing, or assimilating to existing beliefs and frameworks. So constructivism is influenced by cultural settings and learning designers should really think about um, having learners take responsibility and ownership for their learning. They're going to use experimental learning activities. So they're going to try out to learn and explore. They're going to focus on um, having a facilitator guiding the learners and not really teaching uh, direct instruction or lecturing. You're going to have real world experience that's relevant to their job and opportunities to collaborate and that allow for various outcomes. So. These theories offer, especially constructivism, a way to orient someone to something new, centers on the learning, focus, interests, builds on the understanding of the real world experience and guides the learners through that process. I put a link to chapter two of The Nature of Knowledge and Implications for Teaching and that's in Teaching in a Digital Age um, version two by Tony Bates. He talks about the epistemology of theories and learning and that all starts with truth and belief overlapping Venn diagram equals knowledge um, but goes into objectivism, behaviorism, cognitivism and constructivism so you can read on a little bit more especially if you're interested in the grounding foundations of how you're going to create learning design. So I think about all of these things as we're moving towards learning design, we really think about how that changes as we age. So does adult development and age really matter? Does learning change or our capacity to change as we get older? There are so many misconceptions about this. And I want to break down, say this myth is not true. It's not necessarily true. Neuroplasticity, the ability of our brains to change and adapt, does not decline with age. We're able to continue to learn, adapt, grow. So that means we can grow little neurons, if you think of them as sprouting little uh, buds in your head, that help us build new neural connections, receive, process, and transmit information. And that's really if we are challenging ourselves to do things like word puzzles, Sudoku, learning an instrument, learning a language, and more as we age and continue to continue our learning process. So confronting these ideas that we stop learning at a certain point is wrong. And how we learn and develop new neural pathways really keeps continuing learning and the focus on learning solutions really critical for any organization. In this section, this talks a little bit around the Herman Whole Brain Model or the HBDI. So this this Whole Brain Thinking Model says both sides, all quadrants, uh, we process information with all. These are complementary, not competitive. So if you heard people say I'm a left brain or right brain, it's probably not right. Uh, we analyze, uh, we look at problems, we compare solutions, and we support long term learning with both hemispheres. The left side of the brain is often associated with sequential processing of events, language, logic, mathematics, analysis, and awareness of cause and effect. And that right side of the brain specializing in uh, motion, intuition, visual-spatial orientation, music, art, imagery, and pattern awareness, and synthesis of information plus processing event, they work together. And this whole model of that brain thinking was analyzed by Herman Brain Dominance Instrument. So the HBDI is developed by uh, Herman in 1988 to study how individuals' thinking preferences or brain dominance affect the way you work, learn, and communicate. So there's four quadrants that he kind of categorizes. So I'll put a link into the show notes that so you can look at visually. So I'm going to call them Quadrant A is the upper left, Quadrant B lower left, Quadrant C is lower right, and Quadrant D upper right. So looking at A, this is the upper left cerebral, it's the rational intellectual, looking at logical, quantitative, analytical, and technical and factual things. The B, lower left, is the practical instinctive, sequential, controlled, detailed, organized, conservative. C, upper right, is experimental and intellectual. So Uh, metaphors, integrative, visual, synthesizing, and conceptual is the use of this quadrant. And D is that relational instinctive. So emotional, music, musical, humanistic, expressive, and sensory. So there's a little bit more about this model to read about. It really captures the point of view that visible, we're going to use all of these quadrants and we have to have an idea of um, how and where some of our ideas and processing our learning solutions and problem solving come from. Uh, but I thought I'd just share this here. Other factors that come into play are external and maybe environmental. So that's something to think about if you're going to think about training environments, both digitally or online or in the classroom setting um, in an on-site training. So what will that factor? Some external environmental factors could be time, stress, job status, leaving their office, maybe their peers, who's in the room, like if a supervisor is there, um, family issues, health issues, company conditions, and more. So that's often even outside your control. The last learning theory is Howard Gardner's multiple intelligences. So in 1983, he suggested there are multiple ways to measure and account for intelligence. He developed the multiple intelligence theory, which states there's no single way in which everyone thinks and learns. So Gardner created a list of intelligences. So we have linguistic, verbal, that written or spoken word. We have logical, mathematical, an aptitude for math, deduction, logic. Spatial is that picturing and seeing, and that's a visual. Bodily, kinesthetic, so anything around movement or being physical. Musical, an aptitude for expressing yourself in music. Song, playing instrument. Intrapersonal, aptitude for working alone. Naturalistic, you really want to be outside and being with nature. Existential, an aptitude for understanding your purpose in life, and emotional, uh, identifying emotions and sensing. All of these intelligences will impact how people process information when learning. Gardner believes that most people are comfortable in three to four of these intelligences and avoid others. So he does define intelligence as measurable, an aptitude that people use to create and solve problems, and valued by culture, but. He does say intelligence is not fixed, so you shouldn't typecast yourself into one or three or four of these areas. Oftentimes it's misused and misunderstood. And I put an article from Edutopia just around how this theory is widely used, especially with our learners uh, in K-12 or pre-adults. So when you give learners any access to this information, you do wanna think about multiple ways to access information, how to individualize lessons and learning, and incorporating multiple things like the arts into lessons. But you don't want to use this theory or this kind of typecasting into labeling learners into a particular intelligence or confusing any sort of preference or aptitude with that's only how they learn. So we don't want to have learners perceive that they're only good at these three or four things when they really can incorporate all of these intelligences to how they learn and how they take in knowledge. Stay tuned for the next episode in 2.3. We'll get into individual learning preferences and a little bit more around this controversy on learning styles, uh, which we know is debunked. The other thing to think about the differences uh, between. Adults and our pre-adults. So, Andragogy is looking at the differences between teaching and facilitating. So, we know that teaching is telling. There's lots of lectures where you're just given information and it's dumped on you. But facilitation is that guide on the side. So, we want to bring participants, especially those adult learners, to concepts, skills, and information, and make sure they understood. We think that teaching is more pedagogical in most ways. We see a teacher in front of a classroom, someone lecturing, and we want andragogical facilitating. So, we want there to be less presentations, lectures, webinars, webcasts, and we want to have more brainstorming, small group discussion, role playing, case studies, debates, teaching back, and other interactive ways to learn. So, this is really what's going to motivate your learners adult learners to get involved in your training solutions and thinking about instructional design, it's going to be really critical that we look at ways we can engage and challenge our adult learners. What are things you think about for designing concepts for your professionals and employees that you're training? Are the things in your instructional design practice that you incorporate specifically targeted to adult learners? Let me know. I'd love to learn more. Thanks for listening to the Learn Perform Mixtape. If you're liking this podcast, subscribe, tell a friend, give me a like and give me a review. If you're studying for the CPLP or you have already, let me know. I'd love to chat and I'd love to get your advice. Comments, questions, thoughts and love are always welcome. And I have my details in every episode notes. So please reach out. Let's connect.